We're so pleased that you've chosen to follow our Adopted podcast. I'm Joseph Sandigato, the Director of Communications and Public Relations for Mayor. And at Mayor, we believe the best way to help introduce the process of adoption from foster care is through education, hence our cutesy little title of Adopted. The theme for today's show is Back to School. On our podcast today, we'll be discussing the ways in which children receive supplemental supports in school. Whether that's a 504 plan, an IEP, a behavioral education plan, or other specialty medical or custom supports, it is important for parents to understand the resources available to them. We'll also have a visit later in the show from Charles Chipler Riviere, who's a foster adoptive parent and is also a family resource liaison for MSPCC KidsNet. Chip will share a bit about his journey as an engaged parent, helping to navigate the schooling needs of his children. Without further ado, I'm excited to kick off the show with our opening segment called At the Table. Joining me today at the table is my co-host and Director of Family Support Services, Diane Tamaz. Welcome, Diane. Hi, Joe. So, Diane, as you know, I'm no stranger to special education, or as we call it, SPED, right? Which I'll probably say over and over again, so I figured I'd introduce that up front. Um, as a matter of fact, um, pretty much every one of my seven children has needed um, some level of SPED involvement, and, and six of them, you know, pretty intensive. So, um, some were for a short time, others for their whole school career, and it's confusing. Absolutely. I mean, some people know that prior to this job, I was a high school teacher. And so I set in on meetings at, as an educator uh, for my students who had a 504 or an IEP. Don't worry, both things we'll talk about yes, here yes, today. Yes. <laughs> and now as a parent, uh, one of my sons has his own IEP. And so right. I've learned more being on the other side of the table as a parent. But yes, it's absolutely still confusing. Oh, my God. It is so hard. And one of the things that I always talk about, and so um, in my own engagement um, you know, with the community and, and community supports, I bring up all the time that, number one, I was uh, hesitant to seek advice because like so many things, you know, I, I, I talked about um, uh, medical interventions and uh, therapeutic interventions and even just in working with DCF. And I think so many of us in the beginning have such a fear of raising a hand. Uh, and I think this is another one of those areas where many parents that I talked to initially had a fear of raising a hand. It's really, there's a lot of information and a lot to learn. And um, I'm sure even as an educator, former educator, you know, there were things that you might have learned throughout the process. So I'd like to kind of talk a little bit about um, what all of this means. We're by no means meaning to present uh, a, a super comprehensive, you know, end-to-end uh, -end review of everything. But I think if we can start talking about some of the terminology, um, you know, I think it would kind of help. And I think normally we loop back on terminology after we've talked about everything. But I think in this case, we're going to do terminology as we're talking about things. Right? Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it'll put us all on the same page. And as Joe said, by no means is are we trying to you know, help diagnose your child or determine whether or not they have a learning disability or what kind of plan would benefit them, but just to give you an idea of what your options are. Yeah, for sure. So um, why, don't, um, why don't I start with what most people are probably familiar with. It's an IEP. An IEP means Individualized Education Plan. And for those people who haven't really experienced one, it's a document really that basically outlines what the child's needs are, what services they're going to receive, the frequency, how it's going to be measured. Um, there's a couple of sections. There's the PLEP-A, and that is um, the area that kind of documents the needs of the child. The PLEP-B talks kind of about accommodations, and, you know, there's a whole service delivery grid, and there's administrative data sheets, and there's all kinds of pieces to it. But, but by and large... An IEP um, 
what's interesting is people will say to me, like, where can I get information about how to structure my IEP? Well, there's resources. So one of the resources that I'm referring to and that I'm citing um, throughout this particular segment um, is actually the Department of Education's website. So here in Massachusetts, it's at doe.mass.edu. Um, they've got a whole special education section that has parent information and guides. And But I bring people back to this. It's intentionally vague in giving you examples because it's an individualized plan. Right. So there's a wide range of needs yeah. and services that could be included in there. And if you're wondering, how do I even go about right getting an IEP started sometimes it's the teachers who notice that your child's having some yeah. challenges and contact you but other times you're the one who's noticing them and you reach out to the sure. school and say here's what I'm seeing can we have some tests done can we gather some more information and figure out what would help my child for sure and you know other avenues uh, into IEP sometimes uh, you and as we talk about kiddos who've been adopted right sometimes we have therapists that are at play therapists may in the course of their work notice um, that, that a child has specific needs you can you can start in so many different places you know and I think uh, what's interesting is, as I again, I think about a lot about my community conversations over um, the past, you know, couple of decades, and conversations you and I have had. Um, it depends where you are, what school district you're in, what their funding is like, what their special ed team is like. All those things come into play. So, well, you absolutely could have uh, a teacher who says, "Hey, you know what? I think maybe you know your son or daughter um, has uh, some needs that we might want to explore a little bit more." Other school districts may never raise the flag, but you as a parent may know, or your therapist may may know. Ultimately, though, the thing that leads you here is that your kid has needs that aren't being met in the classroom, right? So, the Right. And we want them to succeed in school for whatever success means for your child. Right. You know, and if it's challenging and their confidence and self-esteem is suffering as a result, this is the next step. You know, this is a place to look to put these supports in place so that your child can feel good about themselves as a student. Yeah. And there's a whole process guide that they have um, at the Massachusetts Department of Education. Uh, our friends over at the Federation um, for Children with Special Needs uh, have a number of resources, and you'll find some of those at the, um, at the Department of Education, or DOE site, to use an acronym. Um, and what's really great uh, about the guide that's there is that for that parent who's just starting, um, and I'll tell you, this is a process, as you know, that requires parent involvement and parent education. Um, just starting with the guide, the IEP process guide, it's like an old guide. It goes back to 2001, but it's got the whole process laid out. And I think that piece of it, demystifying the process, really helps a lot of people get started. I mean, there's so many ways that you can bring resources in and make determinations and you can have special education advocates and attorneys and you can, you know, but at the end of the day, what most people are left with is a lack of understanding about how the process works. And I think this particular guide does a, a really good job. Um, Now's a good time to mention that most towns have a SPED pack which is a group of parents whose children receive right. special education services in the district. And um, so they work in tandem sometimes with the school, but they're also an organization that supports parents directly. So it's parents supporting parents. And I found them to be really helpful. Yeah, that's asking true. Asking the questions that I wanted to ask directly without worrying about what the impact would be. And, and the other resources, other 
parents. Right. So, you know, I, I'm a huge advocate for community groups and for meeting through community groups. And I really cut my teeth as an adoptive parent in so many ways, everything from therapy to IEPs to, um, you know, uh, how to deal with uh, people's responses to being an adoptive parent with community groups. And so I find other parents also a great resource. I guess it depends where your comfort level is, but you're right. You do have those sped packs in, in each community and there are people who are resources. So like an FRL for MSPCC KidsNet or one of your mentors, right, that comes Absolutely. from your experience. But there are people out there who you can reach out to if you're not naturally finding people. So so the IEP plan, um, What the piece that we wanted to talk about really was the front end of it. The fact that if your kiddo is not getting in the natural classroom setting, the kinds of supports that are leading them to have the same kind of growth that other children are having, you can investigate, you can request it. The one thing that I always remind people is, and this is so important in this particular process, everything has to be in writing, right? So this idea that you are making a request in writing. And there are timelines that need to be followed by everybody to ensure that Correct. your child's yeah. getting what they need in a timely way. Right. And so the person that you would um, typically reach out to would be there's every uh, school district has probably a lead for special education. There's usually a director or someone who leads the program. Uh, typically, if you have multiple schools within a town, right, there'll be a team chair uh, or person who handles special ed in each of the schools. Th those are the people you're looking for. That's, sure. that's who and you want to And if they don't get back to you, I learned, need be, you can contact the principal directly. For sure. And they'll help get the ball rolling. And I sometimes include multiple people. I might put sure. the principal and the team chair and the classroom teacher, right, uh, when, I'm, when I'm reaching out. I do like a letter for initial contact, big contacts, uh, big issues. I like a nice letter with a return receipt. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are times when you're in process that just an email does the job, but it's always in writing. And even if you have, uh, I've had some people who are just lovely and who are just so accommodating and helpful to the kids. And you might just have a conversation because it's just easy, right? You're at a point where you're in the school, you're doing something and they say, oh, by the way, you know what, Diane, little Johnny, is having some challenges that it's kind of different than what we have structured in the IEP. And I think maybe we should talk a little bit more about that. I have the conversation, then I go home and I write an email and say, per our conversation, right. I let's would like to, this. yeah, let's explore it, right? So everything's in writing. And I think that's the biggest piece of advice that I can give people. That being said, everything else is individualized. What the needs are, and those needs may come from a variety of different resources. You, As you had mentioned earlier, schools can do some testing, some academic testing. Um, some schools have school psychologists. They may do some additional testing. You as a parent have the right to have independent testing. So I know with you know some of my kiddos where we were looking at, uh, for example, processing issues, right, communication disorders. Uh, I had specialists who worked with communication disorders and, and really kind of mapping out how the communication disorders were uh, manifesting for a particular child. Um, and you have the right to bring that in. And you mentioned the therapist, mm -hmm. which is really important because um, the school staff focus on the academics, right. the learning portion of your child's day. But the therapist knows more about any mental health diagnoses your child might have, right. if they're struggling with anxiety or depression or ADHD and how that's impacting how they learn. Sure. So it's really important to get that voice on board, too. Um, if you haven't had a neuropsych any neuropsych testing done Huge. outside of school. You could also request that that yeah. be done through the school. 
Yeah, so there's options, right? You don't, you can um, rely upon your school's resources. Uh, schools don't have all resources all the time. You can, um, you know, let's just confuse everybody totally, right? We're I bringing mean, in the 504. Because it's so, <laughs> before we even talk about the 504, you know, it's, it's independent and, and individualized. And it's, you know, every kid is different and the needs are different. And as many kids as there are on IEPs, there are types of IEPs, right? right? They're not intended to be boilerplate, carbon copy, you know, kinds of, of documents that are really specific to a child's needs. So there's all kinds of resources available. Um, but the but again, today we're just really talking about familiarizing people with it. I would say if you're a parent who's questioned whether your child needs additional services or not, Start with the child's classroom teacher. Start with the school staff. Uh, a principal, as you said, is a great idea. Um, learn who within the school, right, could be a resource for you. Also look for other parents. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to reassure people, and other parents can do, do the same for them, but to reassure them that there's not a stigma attached to special education services like there was in the past. Yeah. Uh, for people who haven't been involved in education since they left school, they may not remember it so fondly. Right, right. But these days, there are lots of kids getting their needs met by special education services. So your child will not be ostracized. They will not be the only one. No, and in my experience, if I only stick to my experience with my kiddos, Oftentimes, there could be a half a dozen or more kids in a classroom of 24 kids. That was my experience as a teacher services, as well. Yep. You know? So your kid is not going to be ostracized. Um, okay, so so that's an IEP. So so for many, many years, and certainly when I started all of this, you know, if you go back over the past couple of decades, an IEP was sort of the prime document. It also may have included some behavioral stuff. So, so behavioral plans are things that could be separate or they could be included in your IEP. Uh, other things that get included in IEPs today, uh, uh, either your child as someone who could be bullied or because of their condition could be considered um, a, uh, a bully themselves, mm -hmm. right? So you have both aspects of that that could potentially work in there. As many different issues as there possibly could be manifesting from, from your child's um, challenges there could be inclusions. I'm glad you brought things. that up. That's an important point because not all of our kids have um, learning disabilities or, or even academic delays that are due to any cognitive issues, but it could be their lack of social skills right. or their emotional difficulties that are getting in the way. Yeah, and that's what's interesting is that so so I've gotten to practice this, and, and this is probably equally in, important to the earlier points that we made is that you're only going to get better with practice. I wasn't great at this in the beginning. I had to gather a bunch of resources. I had to figure out what worked for my kids. But, you know, I was able to come up with a lot of really unique tools uh, and some tools that I could share between kids once we figured out that it worked. But, you know, before phones had um, speech to text mm -hmm. and before people walked around with devices in their hands, we needed adaptive technology sometimes. Yes. If if there were significant communication challenges that were barriers between reading and writing, for example, we might have a computer that talked. Or, you know, today those files um, are part of, most kids have iPads and have technology in their hands. So like those kinds of accommodations don't matter anymore. But you made a point that made me think of another accommodation I had, and that was that uh, our school had an adjustment counselor. And I had a particular child who had poor social pragmatics, you know, just nonverbal communication just wasn't working. And, um, and so we worked with the adjustment counselor to actually work on in-school integrated, you know, kinds of therapies within the school setting where they could be observed 
And P.S., had we not done that, some of those interactions outside of the IEP might have been construed as, you know, something very different if they weren't part of the IEP, yes. right? By acknowledging that there were particular challenges, it also meant that that there was some assistance during the day and that people had eyes on it. Um, and the way that it was dealt with yes, in turn is also helped by the IEP. So for example, when our kids do something impulsive or you know out of bounds and have a consequence for it, there's at least some context there right. that the teacher or the principal can look to when it comes to you know how it's going to be disciplined or how it's going to be treated. Um, I think the other thing that we might want to mention to parents is um, that our kids, as they get older, will also have a better understanding of themselves. And they can also and should be part of the IEP process. Right. Their voice should be part of it. And it, what they have found works for them and doesn't work for them needs to be included. Yeah. No. And students should give input. When they're younger, they may have less input. But I always... Um, I, I know you're not quite where I am in terms of uh, the, the children's development chronologically, but as my kids were in high school, I would bring them in for more and more time in those meetings to the point where by senior year, they ran the meeting. Yeah, it makes because total Because you know sense. what? They're going to college, right? So they have to be able to do that. Well, lots of lots of good tips. Um, I do refer people to this IEP process guide. I think it's just a really great way to get enculturated into it. With that in mind, why don't you talk to us about something that's become much more prevalent, um, you know, these days, uh, something certainly that when I first started, you didn't even talk about until senior year of high school. Yeah, you know, I just learned that from you today, actually, that the history of the, the 504 plan, um, which is actually an Americans with Disabilities Act tool, wasn't used in the past until kids were ready to transition to college. And then people realized over time that it would be much more effective. We started that sooner and put it into place sooner. So the 504 plan is now commonly used in schools where the child has lesser needs. So some parents report that due to cost constraints, some schools prefer the 504 as service delivery and and um you know that that's that might be one reason why schools make that choice right hopefully the choice is made though because the child's needs don't necessitate an iep a full iep right. yeah and you and you typically um get a little bit uh there's less restriction i think uh in my experience in a 504 um you still have structure you still have um help and you have guidance but it's not maybe as tight as an IEP or as expansive as an IEP, right? Yeah, I think that's the key. The The students that I've had in the past who had 504s, they tended to be very specific, either to one subject or one particular um, area, let's say te test taking. Right. So their 504 might request that the child um, have more time when taking quizzes or tests or be able to leave the classroom to have right. less distraction and complete it with a tutor. Yeah, and what's interesting is um, much like, uh, so you said you were learning about um, the history of the 504. And so my first encounter with it was when I had kids who were leaving high school and going to college and we'd, we transitioned them off because colleges in those days weren't dealing with IEPs. I have to tell you, my past two kiddos have gone to college. Uh, the colleges will absolutely take their IEP, will work with their IEP, and will build in supports at college that's based upon news. an IEP. So that's also changed. Um, so I think it's really about the level of need. And uh, again, I would reference the DOE website. So that's uh, doe.mass.edu. Um, and you can find all kinds of information about the 504 plan as well and um, the Americans with Disability Act. Um, I think 
you know, another area of support that uh, many families ask about is dealing with physical disability, right? So it can include intellectual disabilities, but then there's actual physical disability, right? right? Yeah. So that too requires you to work with, with your school, right? Uh, the fortunate part about the world today is that ADA or the American with Disabilities Act requires schools to be accessible, right? So if we're talking about uh, things like wheelchairs or, um, you know, motorized uh, scooters or, um, you know, trip hazards or, you know, like those kinds of accommodations typically are built into, especially here in Massachusetts, where we, you know, tend to have uh, a lot of money going into education. Schools are usually accommodating of those things. But I'm glad that you mentioned that um, some kids' needs are more complex, particularly right. if, if they've had a history of trauma, yep. um, that they might be coming in with a physical disability, which might actually be easier for, for schools to accommodate, but less easy for them to accommodate their behavioral needs sure. and, um, and their emotional needs. Um, but it's all it's just as important to their education that they get those met as well. Yeah, and I and I bring it up not to have a long discussion about it, but just to, yeah, the intersectionality of it all. Mm -hmm. Such a buzzword today, but but it's true, right? Yeah, it Life is very complex and it applies. You could have a kid who has behavioral needs, intellectual needs, physical disabilities that have to be accommodated. You could have a kid that has just one of those things. This is the idea of it being individualized, is that every kid, depending upon their needs, can have a plan put in place to help them. So parents should, um, again, work with their schools, look for resources on their own, look for community resources. All these things are, are so important um, when dealing with this particular topic. And it's hard. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really, really hard. But um, by law, school, public schools must serve your child. And that's something that's important to right. remember when um, you feel nervous. Yeah. You know, about approaching administration or teachers or not fully understanding the system. It's also their job to explain it to you. Right. No, for sure. Um, and and again, you had said earlier, depending upon funding and depending upon the community, um, there may or, you know, maybe more resistance in some areas than others. It shouldn't be based upon that. Right. But, you know, that budgetary constraints are, are part A of reality. it. Yeah. That's right. All right, so we covered a lot of ground today. And again, just really basic information. We wanted to have this conversation like as if we were having it with somebody for the first time out in the field and just not overwhelm them, but give them some resources. So um, why don't we uh, remind people about some of the terms and, and resources that we talked about today? Sure. So we started with the IEP. And again, that stands for Individualized Education Plan. It's exactly what it sounds like. It should be a plan that serves your child as an individual so that they can succeed in terms of their education. And it it'll include details like the frequency and measures of the outcome and measure mm -hmm. your child's progress along the way. Great. And then the 504 um, plan, which may be uh, thought of as uh, a less restrictive sort of IEP, right? Um, American with Disabilities Act kind of goes along with 504, but you're going to find more information about um, specific uh, physical handicaps and other disabilities. Um, and of course, the two big websites that I'm going to point people to, not that there's not hundreds of resources, but I think in places that do a great job was that DOE website. So doe.mass.edu. And then I mentioned our friends over at the Federation for Children with Special Needs and their website is FCSN. That's Frank, Charlie, Smith, Nathan, I'm trying to think of some unique ones, FCSN. 
org. Um, they've got a lot of great resources, a lot of people who will help you. Um, when they you, have people on staff yeah. and mentors who are actually parents of kids with special needs. So yeah. they special have a wealth advocates. of knowledge. I mean, they've got, they've got a whole wealth of knowledge. These are great places to start, great places to get information and great places to plug into other people. So, Diane, thanks for joining me for another informative session at the table. This was terrific. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we'll meet this month's Waiting Children. Stay right there. We'll be right back. This is Joe from Adopt Ed. You know, oftentimes people ask me how they can help to support our cause if they don't want to become adoptive parents. I think a great way to help support Mayor and to increase awareness around the need for adoptive families to support children waiting for adoptive placements in foster care is to host our Heart Gallery. The Heart Gallery was originally created as a stunning display of portraiture and professional photos of children awaiting placement and now is available in its traditional format and in a digital format. If you'd like more information about how your group, your community center, or your workplace can get involved by hosting the Heart Gallery, please contact me, Joe Sandigato, at joes at mayorinc.org. And now it's time to introduce you to some of our waiting children. Today, we're going to learn about Germani and Jaylana. This is probably a good time to remind our listeners that they can find information about either of the children on our website, marink.org, by clicking on the Meet the Children tab and entering their ID numbers. So Diane, tell us more about our kiddos today. I know I always talk about their smiles, but I mean, look at Germani's smile. I know. He's just adorable. If you go online, his registration number is 7160. He's this adorable five-year-old. He's all bundled up. It must have been a picture taken in the, in the, the fall winter. or winter. I yeah. Know. But look at those eyes. The, yeah. You know, he smiles with his eyes. He's got this big, great smile. He's just lit up. And uh, it says that he likes to be active in the outdoors. And this is exactly what it looks like. He's five years old. Uh, he's outgoing. He has a great sense of humor. Uh, he's doing well at school. Yeah, that's great. He likes great. it, and they like him. Um, the right family for him would be a one or two parent family, but he really should be the youngest or only child in the home. Yeah. And as we always talk about, that's important to, you know, think about the fact that somebody took the time to think about that fit. Right. So, um, and also I happen to notice, um, like a good family fit for him, Diane. Mm -hmm. Um, he likes books, art, building music. He seems like a really creative kid. Like if you're a creative family, Mm -hmm. you know, and you really get into sort of the arts, Sounds like he'd he be a be really right great fit, right? Right at home with you. And he's legally free for adoption. Great. Um, but he will need a family that understands his need for a lengthier transition. So a patient yeah. family who's willing to be on Germani's schedule. Yeah, but that's important that's for right. a lot of kids, right? Want it to be nice and smooth. And who do we have next? We have 11-year-old Jaylana, also <laughs> adorably smiling. She's got this great, great curly hair. And she's surrounded by stuffed animals. She's cozying up to one. She's just such a sweetheart. I think Um, that's great. I'd love to see her in action, though, because it says she loves to sing and dance and has the qualities of an actress. There's another creative spirit for us today. Yeah, she sounds terrific. 
Um, she's motivated to do well in school. She has friends right. there. She's legally free for adoption. And she's really eager to make a connection to a family. Well, she's really ready. Yeah, that's good, though. That shows where she's at, right? We talk about that all the time. So. And the good news is she'd do well in a family of any constellation with or without other kids in the home. Yeah, and so that jargon, the any constellation is mom, dad, mom, mom, dad, dad, just dad, just mom. Um, uh, people with non-binary um, uh, gender identification. I mean, you know, really anybody. Any constellation just means any mix, right? That's yeah. Any way that your your family identifies That's um, right. is, is a good fit. But um, important to her is the fact that she'd like to maintain contact with her other siblings sure. and her biological mother. But that's important. That's you know, right. we, we talk about permanency and we talk about it now, especially in the context of maintaining that birth connection when it's healthy, when it's appropriate, but it's part of your history and, and keeping chain to that. So I think that's really that's really important. I also happen to notice, I said she's a creative type, but I also happen to notice she likes swimming. So I'd put that in the sports category. Yeah, that's right? great. Um, she likes fashion. She likes playing with dolls. So if you're somebody that's creative and uh, is it too much to say girly girl? I, I don't know. I mean, she does like Singing, the fashion and dancing, playing with dolls, fashion. but, you know, who doesn't sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> fun once in a while. True point. True point. <laughs> so, Diane, for anyone interested in learning more about these kiddos, let's remind them what the process is like. Sure. If you'd like to call and talk to someone, you can reach us at 617 964 6273 or if you prefer you can visit us online at mareinc.org that's m-a-r-e-i-n-c dot o-r-g uh, while you're online on our website you can check out our events we have some matching events and we have events out in the community we recently had an event at the more than words bookstore right. in boston and uh and out in p-town we were at the library yeah oh my god huge event at the library so we move around the state we have events here and there, yeah. so please check our website regularly. Sure. We're all over the place. Well, thanks for joining me, Diane. Of course, this has been educational as always, and working with you is fun, so I look forward to hosting with you again soon. Thanks again, Joe. We're going to take a little break, and then we'll be back with our special guest, foster adoptive parent, Charles Chip LaRiviere. We'll be right back. Hey, producer Jeremy. Hey, host Joe. So while we're between segments, we really should remind folks that one of the best ways to support our work and to support children waiting in foster care is to share resources, whether it's social media, the web, or even this podcast. Yeah, that's so true. So to all of our loyal listeners out there, we know there are many of you. If you like the Adopted podcast, uh, like us, comment on your platform of choice, whether that's Facebook or Twitter, Instagram, uh, and don't forget to rate us on iTunes in the Google Play Store. We really appreciate those five-star ratings. And good comments. And don't forget to share us with your friends and family. They'll love us too. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Adopt Ed. This is our Adopt Talk segment where we get to meet community members who are involved in the foster care and adoption process. Joining me today is Charles Riviere, or Chip as we like to call him, who's a foster adoptive parent and family resource liaison for MSPCC KidsNet. Welcome, Chip. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Joe. 
So for full disclosure, I've known you for probably about five or six years now, or maybe even yep. a little more, right? We served sure. together on the DCF Worcester West Area Advisory Board. We uh, worked together as family resource liaisons. Um, but we actually met when you became part of the Facebook group that I had started uh, a number of years ago, Caring Families Together Fathers Forum. And it was there that I learned about you and your family and that we both, um, you know, I learned that we both had some similar challenges, right? We had not only had adopted children, but we were dealing with um, children who had special needs and uh, some school issues. So specifically today, this podcast, we're talking about back to school, right? So IEPs, 504 plans, that kind of thing. Um, so I think I'd like to just start by asking you a few questions. Is that sure. okay? Does that yeah. make sense? Okay. So as I said, this month's podcast is all about sharing resources to help families address school-specific needs. Um, and I know that you've had to deal with all kinds of school needs for your kiddos, which is why I thought of you as our special guest for today. Uh, the audience by now obviously doesn't want to hear any more of my story because we're now uh, eight episodes into this podcast and they've heard enough from me. So I'd like to uh, talk to you a little bit about um, special education. But before we do that, why don't you tell me a little bit about how you came to adoption and ultimately how you came to adoption from foster care? Sure. Um, probably around 17 years ago, we decided we want to adopt children. Um, I wanted to go through DCF, but we started out private. Okay. Um, and we adopted an infant. And then shortly after that, we decided we were going to add to our family and uh, looked for a daughter. Okay. We were looking for a sure. little girl to go with our daughter. And we ended up finding a sibling group of two. Which often happens. Which was extremely unexpected. Okay. Not at all the route that we started out with. Um, were they living together at the time? They were not living they together. They weren't. So they were reunified as part of this process as well? Yes. Okay. They were a package. Gotcha. Um, and so we proceeded with those guys, and then their sibling was born, and then another one came. And okay. There, the rest is history. And the rest is history. Yeah. So 17 years you've been doing this. 17 years, yes. Okay. So, yeah, so we started around the same time. I'm a little over 20 now. Yep. But, um, you know, it was a, a bit of an interesting time, right, to, to be adopting and yes. to be building families. And, um, and so, um, so you built your family in part through private adoption initially, but Correct. then went into the, the foster care adoption process. Who did you train with? I know I've asked you this story a thousand times, but for the sake of our listeners, where did you do your MAP training? Who did you? Oh, we did our MAP training with um, Lutheran Services. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. They were a nice group over in Worcester. Yep. Okay. Um, so, so that's the family building component of this, right? Yeah. At what point in time did you realize that you had children with special needs? When did that sort of come to bear? And, and again, thinking about the fact that this was happening 17 years ago, 15 years ago, 14 years ago, we've changed an awful lot during that time, right? We certainly have. So what was the awareness piece like for you of special needs? I think with um, my son, who's almost 18 now, he was four and a half at the time, he was, he was struggling a lot in kindergarten um, and we really were told to the school system that it was behavioral issues. Okay. So we had tried different, you know, behavioral techniques at school, some punishments, some rewards, but it probably wasn't until third or fourth grade when he started just doing really off the wall stuff that we knew we were 
looking at something more than just a kid that needed some extra so discipline. Third or fourth grade, knowing, <clears throat> excuse me, where your um, where your son's at now, that's probably putting us around two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Does that seem um, pretty fair if we back up? Yes, because yeah. he just, just graduated, right? Yeah. So okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, so by then, there had been a little bit of evolution within the school systems. But you're right. I, I remember going back to the earlier 2000s, uh, my son, who has a profile, you know, knowing you, we have mm-hmm. kids that have different diagnoses, but similar profiles, right, in how they yeah. um, present. And so uh, I remember there being just very little available. Um, you know, certainly IEPs, um, 504s were used for transitioning out of high school. I mean, it was just, it was a different landscape and you're right. That behavioral stuff, uh, really didn't have a construct, you know? I mean, it's not like today where you kind of have more solid, uh, where the schools have a more solid understanding of what a behavioral ed plan might need to be. Um, although a behavioral ed plan is kind of as amorphous as an IEP. It's not like there's a template, right? It's... Well, back then, I was all, I was new to all of this, and I didn't really understand what IEPs were about. Sure. I didn't understand how to go about doing them. I didn't understand that, you know, we could have a behavioral ed plan. But also, to my son at the time, we really weren't getting concrete information as to what all of his diagnoses uh, were. Right. So, you know, fast forward all these years later... We now know that, you know, he's on the spectrum and PTSD sure. and reactive. You know, there's a long list. And all of these things at the time, we were learning as much about him and his mental health um, and how the school system worked. And we were also in the process um, as the years went on of dealing with, you know, our adoptions and then new adoptions. Right, and right. So it was just a lot going on. So let's bring it back. Um, and for our listeners who maybe are saying, you know what, I have a kid who might need a little bit of help. I don't even mm. know where to start. What was your first encounter like? If you think back to, you know, we're talking about behavior issues, mm-hmm. right? So how did how did this all start with your engagement with the school? He's in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, right. now by third grade, fourth grade, it's mounting. Yep. We had, um, we had looked at different schools for him. Um, with different levels of structure. So we had moved him from our neighborhood school to a different school with a lot of structure. That just didn't work out. And you're in, for for the listeners' benefit, you were in the city of Worcester? In Worcester. Okay. Um, And so we moved him back to the neighborhood school. Um, And then there was a time when we wanted to hold him back a year, Mm -hmm. and we were told we couldn't do that. And then I just started saying something, the school's not... Really, something just wasn't right in my head with the way the school was working. It just didn't, I wasn't getting what I needed for Yeah. Them. Who are you talking to at this point? Is it his classroom teacher? Is it the principal? It's, is it a guidance person? Like it's the classroom teacher and the principal okay. about school and then his therapist um, at, at the therapy about diagnoses and stuff okay. like that. Um, and things just started to come together and say, you know, and then talking to other friends with, kids in the school and saying, hey, you know, you can do this and you can do that. And sure, just thinking about it and doing research and saying, what is it that my kid needs at school and how do I go about getting it? But so to lay the foundation at this point, um, a kiddo who is going to school, not on an IEP or a 504, right. unstructured. Unstructured. Intervention with the classroom teacher. And as time goes on, probably more engagement. Yeah. Uh, you have a therapist in place? Correct. Okay. 
But um, but now it's to the point where you need to move to the next level. And I think a lot of our listeners might find themselves in that yeah. position. I mean, I know I found myself in that same position, right? So so where did you start, Chip? How did you, um, you know, how did you, so you talked to people, you talked about this, you, you know, heard from other people yep. about resources. Um, if you were like me, the school might have even provided you with some nope. detail. You didn't get any of that. So all. what we did was... Once I realized that my son needed more than he was being given, the first thing I did was write a letter to the school requesting a full evaluation being done. Which is something that people have to, if it didn't happen in writing, right. it hasn't happened. It has not right? happened. Yep. And I send everything registered mail smart to the school and to um, the district, mm-hmm. um, which sometimes the principal doesn't like. But you know everything but is dated. It's you've formal. got to advocate for your child, and and I requested a full battery of testing. I listed all of the testing I expected done, um, and from there we started realizing what my son's needs really were. So who helped you build that list of of the the specific needs, specific testing? Where did where did that education come from? For Some you? of it came from the therapist, but okay. most of it came from. Um, Another mom who had a son with a lot of special needs gotcha. who happened to be a friend of mine. That's and how we it... just happened to be talking yeah. on the playground one day. And she said, Chip, this is how you start this process. And that's how a lot of the knowledge yep. always gets passed. But, you know, it's probably, even if we take it out of the context of special education, um, and even thinking about your FRL role, right, and, uh, and, and what you do in the community, the idea that you learn from other people is that's so right. important. Right. I mean, there are resources earlier in the show. Uh, Diane and I talked about uh, a number of resources, the Federation for Children with Special Needs and the Department of Education resources. And there's a lot of guides, there's a lot of information. But really, the thing that I found most helpful was somebody who could help you begin to understand what it all means. It was hard when we started to realize after years of therapy um, and doctors and specialists what my son's diagnoses were. We kind of felt alone, mm-hmm. um, although I was really involved for a lot of years in the school, and I knew a lot of people. People don't always understand when they see some, when they see a kid with the behaviors that my son was exhibiting, that he's not a bad kid, that we're not bad parents, mm-hmm. that there is a situation with my son's brain. So it became lonely. It beca- I felt isolated. And then one day, just on Facebook, I happened to see that group, right? your group, and you guys were doing a lunch at Elm Park. Right. Yeah, so, the picnic lunch. That's, that's, right. that's actually when we met, and right? that's when we met. So yeah. I said to my husband, I said, let's get sandwiches and take the kids. Right. And I said, I need an outlet. Mm-hmm. I need other families like ours. Right. I need to know that there are people out there. And so that's when we met you guys. Right, right. And the supports that I didn't really even know that were out there, um, you guys helped me find. Yeah. Well, I, but, but again, it's that, whoops, it's that whole community, sense of community yep, building. Absolutely. Community. 
And that's why, you know, when that got kicked off, there's uh, another person we have in common, Rick Benoit, who's yeah. been a guest here on the show. Um, you know, he and I were talking about the lack of supports and specifically the lack of supports around special needs or um, in this particular case, uh, CFT Fathers uh, Forum is one of the um, one of the groups and it's specifically for gay adopted fathers. Right. And um, and so this idea of community and sharing of resources happens in so many ways. You've got, um, you know, uh, adoption support groups. You've got um, all kinds of community resource groups. You've got DCF who has um, the community connections uh, uh, throughout the state yep. and resource centers. There's a million ways you can get to it. But I think the most important thing is not to be isolated and suffer in silence because I was with you for the, f and, and to contextualize it, I was probably about five or six years ahead of you. And as rapidly as things have evolved, it was very basic back then, meaning there wasn't a lot of, uh, there weren't a lot of resources shared. You didn't have as much uh, to use to help inform you, right? So what you really relied upon was other people. That's right. Um, and so finding those people and building, you know, that sense of community is a, an important piece. But I don't want to overlook the fact that I'll speak for myself. I was isolated because I just didn't know how to have the conversations and to begin to engage. That's right. I didn't have a supportive school system that was saying, hey, you know what, your kiddo has, so like you, I'm dealing with um, spectrum issues. I've also got, you know, probably another dozen pieces of alphabet soup right. laid on top of that. Right. Uh, I had a great therapist. He was very helpful um, and can continue to work with the kids for, for a decade, uh, various members of the family. But I was a little isolated. It's not that I didn't want to help, and it's not that I uh, wasn't looking for resources, but it wasn't until I plugged into people that I really started to realize the benefit of this. So I think that's an important takeaway for it is for families. I, I think a lot of times, too, for like myself, having five kids, three of them are biological siblings, and, you know, four of my children have some sort of mental health issues. The fifth one, we'll see when she, a couple right, more years right, from right. now. But, um, you know, it, it becomes exhausting. And when you start to think about all the work you have to do with your children in the school and providers, your brain goes to a place that says, I can't possibly add one more thing, more, one more thing yeah. to this. Even if it's, you know, trying to get out and meet people, that was one of the biggest hurdles that I had to come to get over right. was to put myself out there and say, with all of this chaos in my home, now I have to take my chaotic family and take the risk of putting us into a group of people that Not I knowing. don't even know. Right. And are they going to judge us? Are they going to accept us? Are they going to understand? And it didn't take long for me to find other families in our group that have gone through at least what I'm going through at some yeah. point. Yeah. And even some of us are starting to go through it in our group. So it's like... Well, that's been, if I can cut you off for one sure. second, that's been an interesting part of this because yeah. if I think about our group, um, I think probably, so I'd mentioned Rick Benoit before, I think he and I were a bit of a leading edge in terms right. of having older kiddos. But even if I think of our group, I think of all the tangential connections we have. So, um, you know, uh, Deb Tambo's um, uh, adoption group yep. that, that we've attended, um, you know, some of the other groups that, that kind of cross over. We've got people at various stages. 
And I think that's been an, um, an accidental side effect of all of this is that you can help to cheer for other people. We that's have right. people... Um, who I know you and I have both worked with, uh, both formally and informally, and we can say to them things like, I know where you are. Absolutely. I remember being there. Yeah. And um, I now have the benefit of saying, with kids now in their 20s, I have the benefit of seeing really the other side of it. Because I think that's one big piece that we all talked about um, at various points in time, is not really knowing what the future was going to be for that's your right. kids. Even doing all this work and, and being invested and just not really knowing what the future was going to be or how to navigate it. Um, it's been nice having people at different places in the process. You know, it's been nice without being a able doubt. To share that. You know, I see with with my son. You know, again, who's almost eighteen next week, where he was even a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. The other side of that now, right? Where he's, you know, starting to, you know, he's learning to take the bus on his own and he's learning to, you know, self-advocate and he's just learning some basic life skills that people without these diagnoses just take for granted right. every day. Right. You know, you're going to get up and do a low laundry. Well, to you and me, it's like, okay, but just to him, it. it's yeah. an absolute process. Right. And, you know, and learning the process of even how to take the bus was six or eight months in the works with sure. specialists and the people from the bus company and the school and ABA just to get him to take a bus right. on his own from the top of our street downtown. Which, which any is fifteen minutes, any teen in in you know in any average situation would just do. Would right? just do once or yeah. twice, and but it's it's a a lot for him, you know. And with his sister, who's fourteen and a half. She's, he kind of like helped us prepare for the situations that she's going through sure. now. Um, you know. The good news is, though, a lot of this started, though, to bring it sort of back on track with our initial conversation. It, a lot of it started because you had a solid plan in place with the school. Right. Right. So if we use uh, your son as an example, so we're at third or fourth grade. You've Correct. now plugged into another parent who's given you a little bit of advice. You write the school. Um, I presume you had a team meeting at some point Absolutely. in time, mm -hmm. right? But talk to me a little bit about um, the evolution between that first bit of plug-in, those early IEPs, um, and bring it forward to, um, you know, where you got to at the end of the school career. Because that's that's been quite a journey. It has. You know, we... When we first... So after Malcolm came back to our neighborhood school, um, he was there until the fifth grade, and middle school goes to the sixth grade, okay, um, or elementary school, and then we were able to get him into a more of a private school setting, yep. um, and that was an absolute disaster. I mean, a complete disaster, and... I ended up pulling him out and putting him back into our neighborhood school for the sixth grade. And, you know, we uh, made it a little when, bit. That's when we really started yeah. to say, okay, these are the problems. And we really, it really wasn't until the sixth grade that we realized school is just not stepping up. Gotcha. And I was able to school choice him out of Worcester. And seventh and eighth grade were great. Um, he had lots of supports. 
ninth grade hit. Right. All downhill. Change of schools. Change. Well, did you have like a middle school? High it was school a transition? middle school, high school that were in the same okay, building. Gotcha. So it was segmented. But it was segmented. Same right. Yeah. Okay. But it was just the lack of supports in the high school. Well, also, that's a time when they're intentionally dropping supports for yes. a mainstream student yes. in an effort to get them to be more independent. Correct. But they sometimes force that same construct on special needs students. Correct. And that doesn't And it did not work at work. all. It yeah. did not work. It, so you amped up your IEP at that point. So what we did was we amped up the IEP. The school, the district could not handle his needs. So I hired an attorney and we got him into a special day school. Okay. Where he spent the last four years. Okay. And... Um, and so in that process, um, education advocates, when we say attorney, are we talking about an ed advocate? Are we talking I about... I hired an educational attorney. Okay. Um, and then after we got everything straightened out, managed to do some IEPs, dealing with the district is not a good time. It's not for the faint of heart. Um, yeah, and that's that's an important message. And depending upon where people are, how well funded their special ed departments yes. are, because that's something I learned. We had moved uh, to the Quabbin Regional School District from North Brookfield. North Brookfield was terrible to deal with back yes. when we first started. We moved to the Quabbin Regional School District, and they had a really um, well invested special ed director who went over and above to make sure the kids got what they need. And then with a change in superintendent, that person retired. And, uh, and then right. it wasn't the focus. And so I think one thing that I've learned personally and then in working with people is it really depends what community you're in, what they're investing in special ed. Are they funded? Are they starving for funds? And the more starving they are, I think, I always tell parents, the louder you have to be. You know, I've the more in, involved you have to be. I, the way I look at it is I've been in so many IEP meetings f over the years with, all of, with most of my children and when I have a special ed director or a team chair sitting in front of me talking about money, my first response is usually to interrupt them and say, I don't really care about money. Right. I don't care about We're not anything, talking about your budget. We're talking about what my child's needs are. Right. Um, so now let's move forward with that. And I don't want to hear, budget's your problem. My kids' needs are my problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I never think about, I can't do this, I can't do that because the district can't afford it. That's not my problem. Right. I find what my kid needs, and I find the best way to get that need met. And I have had to hire in the last year and a half um, an ed advocate because I don't know all the laws and the ins and outs of it. Right. And the school will take advantage of that. And well, and depending upon, it, here's the other big secret to IEPs, um, and you know, it's it's something that Diane and I talked about earlier. The fact of the matter is, even with an IEP, mm -hmm. then you have service delivery. Correct. And whether or not they're executing the IEP. Is so it's it not just this one and done where you sit no. at a table once a year and, and write a document. It's now are they executing it? Correct. So throughout the school year, you're checking to make sure that they're actually doing what they're supposed to be doing. And then you have the right. Most parents right up front don't know you have the right to recall a team meeting. That's right. Do it in writing and recall the team. And there have been times where I've had to recall the team several times. Yes, I've done that Because too. it's just not working. And the last thing they want to do is have team meeting after team meeting. So I just remind them that if we do what we're supposed to do. The first time. <laughs> right. Do what we've agreed to. What's written on this lovely PLEP A, PLEP B. That's correct. You know, service delivery grid. Then we don't have to have these meetings. And, and what's interesting is because like you, um, so I have seven children and I've got six of the seven needed fairly heavy duty intervention. 
And uh, eventually they get to know who you are. That's and, right. Um, and I think sometimes, depending upon, and again, everyone's experience is different, but sometimes once you've established yourself too, you can have fewer meetings. Correct. And if they know that you're on top of it, and that's what I always tell parents, just stay on top of it. Stay on top of it, ask questions. And don't be afraid to go to the next level. When I'm in an IEP meeting at the end of it, sometimes, you know, if I'm not, if, if we need a lot of follow-up, I'll say, okay, before we leave the table, we're going to schedule the next IEP meeting mm-hmm. in five or six months to see where we're at or four months or wherever. I fully agree. I also um, walk in with an agenda. Yes. So I always have, there's, there's sometimes, uh, my experience has been that there are sometimes struggles for control of a team meeting, right? So you have um, somebody who is a team chair who really should be running the meeting. You have right. uh, professionals from within the school, from various disciplines, and you have teachers and you have... I walk in with my own agenda and I hit all the high points. I also have the current IEP. I have highlighted it and flagged it for the areas that we need to talk about, right? Mm -hmm. Um, If there are psych reports to review, I've already reviewed them with the person who did the testing. I have all of my own notes. Um, And that changes the game a little bit. Yeah. You know, um, and not everyone's at that point, but the more prepared you can be, the better. I think the better, right? I agree. And if you don't understand it, then people really need to to try to reach out to other families if you can't afford to hire an advocate or attorney. Other families or some of the resources help. that Diane and I talked about earlier. There's a lot of uh, resources on the Department of Education Correct. website, Absolutely. the, the board, um, Federation, the Federation for Children with Special yeah. Needs. I mean, there's a lot of people out there who can, can help. But you have to be willing to learn. Right. Right. I think that's the big difference. Yes. You and I, I think, both got from the place of being overwhelmed yeah. to then being huge advocates. That's right. And and that happened because of the involvement. That's right. And, and willingness to learn. What other stuff would you, I mean, you know, God, we could talk about this all day long, but as we start to wrap up this, you know, this interview and this piece of the, the process, what would you share? I mean, either either as a parent who's helped other parents, as an FRL, as, you know, what do you think... To the to the average person out there who maybe is thinking, gosh, my kid is just not seeming to get enough out of the normal classroom, what would you say to them? What what kinds of I would think it would, would you share? I think it would depend um, for each person where they were at in the process. If it was somebody just starting out um, that doesn't have a that does not have a lot of support at school, would certainly be to um, have testing done at school, have if you think through the therapist that outside testing, neuropsychs, um, whatever you need would be a great place to start, then take those to the school um, to have supports put in place. If if your child already has an IEP, become familiar with the IEP. Right. What does it mean? How is it being tracked at school? Sure. How is it being implemented and by whom? Right. And so know, who the, know who the players are. Is. Yeah. Um, so that if goals aren't being met, right, and when you see the progress reports, um, if the progress reports aren't matching up with the IEP goals, right, somebody needs to be accountable for that. No, that's how do you? That's super who do important. you go to? And do you know that? Um, I presume that you do, but do you know that you can get progress reports with whatever frequency you want? I used to get them every two weeks on my kids who had heavier duty needs. You're not waiting for that mid-term right. report to come out when it's three months, two months into a, a semester. I've know? always taken the 
I, I always think that the more involved I am mm -hmm. with the school and the more they know my name. Right. Um, and I would never have a problem with if I knew something was supposed to be done and my son wasn't bringing appropriate work home or something was going on. I do not have a problem with in writing yes. to the teacher, copying the entire team on everything um, with follow-up. What's the, going on? Yep. Why isn't this happening? I don't usually wait till progress reports come out. Yeah. Well, the reason I ended up, uh, I, I, so IEP, as Diane and I talked about earlier, is individualized education plan, and people want a, a playbook. You mm -hmm. know, they want a, a set of rules, and there isn't. It's intentionally isn't. designed to not be that way. So one of the things I learned was I can ask for more frequent check-ins. Right. And the reason that was important to me is many schools today now have online grade tracking. Yes. We had a school that loosely had it and didn't use it. And so um, when kids get to be a certain age, you're not always as aware of what's going on. They're not sh younger kids. My younger kiddos share pretty much everything with me. By the time they get to be middle school, high school, they're not really <laughs> telling you when they have challenges and they don't necessarily want to be singled out. And so that's when it became really important Correct. to have those. Yeah. Um, and the other thing I would say is you say in writing, um, for official communications, as you did, I would do it in writing. I would do read receipts. Interim communications, I would do by email. I would copy people. I might yep. turn the read receipt on just to see who read it and when they read it. Um, I had no problem copying the team or team chair. Uh, and that got a lot resolved. So that's all. Yep. those are all great tips. And I think, you know, for me, I've had to go to the supervisor, to the next supervisor, mm -hmm. to, you know, the special ed person for the entire district right. before I got anything done. Sometimes the people at the table right. are at the table, and a lot of times they do their thing, people sign papers, and they move to the next kid. But if you're not getting what your kid needs yeah. from the people at the table, there are people above them. Just escalate. Like anything else, escalate, escalate it. it. And the other thing, too, to keep in mind is you take all this time to sit at the table. I just recently had to return an IEP twice mm -hmm. by rejecting it, which they don't really want anymore because you know what happens when you reject an IEP yeah. now? Where does it go? It goes right to Boston. It goes to DOE. Yep. And they don't want that. No. Nope. So I find that there's more of a willingness to work with people. But I feel like if I've spent the time and invested the time to show up with an agenda with a well thought out, detailed request, yep. and we agree to it at the table, it's sure better come back in writing. And I don't have, I've emailed the team chair in the district after I've rejected an IEP. And within a certain period of time, if I don't receive notification from the from DOE, I will put in writing, when did you report my rejection? Right. I have not received anything from Boston. And before you know it, um, something, something shows up. Something shows up. Yeah. Well, that's all good advice. <laughs> Anything else we missed? Any big ideas? Any thoughts that you had coming into today that no. you thought I really want to share? Well, you know how much I appreciate you and all of your work. Thank and, you. and thank you so much for coming in today. I'm, I'm hoping that our audience has learned something from our conversation. Um, also, uh, as a family resource liaison for MSPCC KidsNet, you're available to people in the community. Sure. You serve uh, adoptive parents in the central Massachusetts area. But of course, if anybody had a question, you could always refer Absolutely. them to their FRL. So um, best phone number for you? 774 696 Zero two six one. Okay. And email I have is Worcester Regional FRL at gmail.com. Correct. Well, thanks, Chip. I appreciate thanks, your time. For more information about Mayor, our waiting children, 
Or to simply get more information about how you can get involved to support waiting children, please visit us at mayorinc.org or call us at 617-964-6273. This is Joe Sandigato for Mayor, wishing you a wonderful day, and thanks for listening. Until next time.